again, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Jerry Lawler Show here on Podcast One. Uh, thank you so much for all of the positive feedback last week and, uh, you know, everybody just sharing the show and, and being so supportive. Uh, please be sure to subscribe. And if you want to leave a good review, if you like the show, that never hurts. You can follow us on Twitter at Lawler Show. But now I need to bring in the star, the host, as I learned last week, of Monday Night Raw, Mr. Jerry the King Lawler. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing after uh, well, seven wait, wait, hours over Sunday morning? I want to. I want to. I want to ask you about something you just said. Was it all positive feedback on the show last week? Literally, as far as I saw, yeah, it was a little. Oh, good. Pretty good for the internet. <laughs> yes, you're right. Because ordinarily, there's definitely something in there that'll jump out at you. That, I was uh, a little nervous there'd I... be like a, a hashtag campaign against Sean Reedy, but not yet. We can start one. No. <laughs> Uh, no, everything, was, every, everything's been going good. That was a lot of uh, TV you did over Sunday and Monday. Yes, it was. Uh, the, the Hell in a Cell uh, pay-per-view, and then, of course, that, that was in Sacramento. Then, what a long drive from Sacramento up to Bakersfield. My, I found out that uh, our, my broadcast partners, we all made the trip together after, after, uh, after Sacramento. We jumped in the car little SUV, and uh, Dio took the wheel, and he never relinquished it the entire time. I asked him, I asked him one time, I said, I, said, I mean, you know, it was nighttime, and, and uh, it was like a, at least a five-and-a-half-hour drive. So we were about two hours into it, and I said, uh, Dio, I said, if you get sleepy, let me know, because I'll reach up there and slap your face or something like that, you know, <laughs> to keep you awake. But uh, so he, he he did he did really well. He was a real trooper. He drove the entire way, and uh, I, and I think I might have dozed off a little bit. But uh, Vic Joseph, he stayed awake the entire t- time, and we drove all the way up to Bakersfield. Got to Bakersfield, and let's see what happened. I think Vic, I think he took off, and so did so did Dio, and I was left standing at the hotel there at the Marriott waiting for my them to find my room and those guys got their they they got their room and took off went upstairs and of course as seems like always happens to me the person that you know you, you you can feel it coming they look down the list and they look down and then all of a sudden you see them looking down at a second time and you go <laughs> oh boy, here we go and sure enough and they look a third time and the guy says uh Mr. Lawler I don't see your name on the rooming list and I said, yeah, it's got to be there. Check it out. So he went. He got another guy over there. Sure enough, it was not on the rooming list. And I realized later on that they had uh, the WWE had booked me to stay in Sacramento that night. Oh. So thank goodness, my old buddy Mark Carano, the heater, it was over there. And uh, he came walking by, and I said, heater, they don't have me on the rooming list. And so we... Figured out the next best thing. He, he he got a hold of the roomy list and looked down and and saw a name that he thought might not be coming. And so he called him up on the phone. And sure enough, they had stayed back in uh, back in Sacramento. So I got to use I got their room and finally got in my room at about one o'clock in the morning. So uh, or maybe maybe a little bit later than that. But yeah, we did that. Then um, then of course Bakersfield for Raw and then after that. There was another hundred mile trip, and this time Vic, uh, Vic Joseph took the wheel, and we we had just had a short time. We had what a, I mean, a little small window there to make it from Bakersfield back to LAX, and get our red eye flights. And so, man, he he put the 
he put the pedal to the metal, as they used to say, and uh, I was proud of him. I, I was a little scared. <laughs> it, takes a lot, it takes a lot to scare me driving, but I was a little scared a couple of times. But, man, we, we zoomed right down there, made that 100 miles, and got to uh, got there in time to make our, our red eyes back home. Well, at least you're getting to spend some time with your uh, announced team. Yeah, yeah, we got, to, we got to know each other pretty well. And that was like we spent almost – well, pretty close to eight hours in the car together this past weekend. Did you and Vic commiserate over that uh, Browns 49ers game? Oh, my gosh. Yes, we did. Uh, you can imagine uh, we commiserated on the way from uh, Sacramento to Bakersfield about how great it was going to be and the fact <laughs> that people were going to be able to actually watch it and try to – how we're figuring out how we're going to keep up with it, you know, while we're – because it was on at exactly the same time – Raw was on, and we'd be out there doing the show live while the game was going on, and we we're trying to figure different ways. And he said, "He said I think I can have it on my phone. I think we'll be able to see it. You know, we could just catch the score or whatever, and that sort of thing." That's what we talked about on the way to uh, Bakersfield, and then of course after Bakersfield, on the way to LAX, we just uh, I mean, we were both in shock. I mean, it was just we couldn't believe how bad everything went that night uh, for the Browns. And uh, the people that may not realize it, of course, you know, I'm a lifelong Browns fan, grew up up in a little town um, outside of Cleveland called Amherst, Ohio, and uh, so became a lifelong Cleveland sports fan and Browns, number one, right? And so Vic, Vic Joseph, of course, is from Cleveland and has, uh, you know, is uh, as well a lifelong Browns fan. So that's what we talked about the entire way back. I see. We talked about the Browns in between me going, whoop, look out, look out, what's the car? <laughs> pull in front of us. But, um, yeah, it was, it was sad. Is there any nervousness about Baker Mayfield yet or still all in? <laughs> no, I'm going to say I'm still all in. I, I have, I have faith. I have confidence in Baker Mayfield. I mean, you know, every now and then, though, something happens that will, uh, alert you to the fact that, hey, this is not a Super Bowl team yet, which is what everybody was was thinking was going to happen this year. They may not even be a playoff team yet. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that needs to needs to come together. I mean, what was weird, though, is you see him play like a real good game against the Baltimore Ravens the week before. And then all of a sudden come back with this total laid an egg in this in this past game it was i mean no, nothing was there was nothing good about it. the running game the defense was was horrible uh, this and the, the quarterback he wound up i think he may have the worst quarterback rating in the league right now and especially that was one of the worst of the, of the season so far monday night yeah. well hope, <laughs> hopefully it bounce back next week yeah, but you know what? I mean, and not only to combine all the fact that they're not playing well, like like you know, I watched a lot of the stuff about them. Uh, but you got to give the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They have be they're one of the top teams in the league. They're undefeated. They uh, they have a really good team. And as <laughs> I was just looking at a thing a while ago on my phone, one of the uh, one of the defensive linemen said about that game. He said, "You got to give them credit. They really stuffed it right up our." A double S, right? And well, that, was, that was his quote to the to the uh, media, and then they did. I mean, you know, so that was a tough team. But then uh, that's that's what I was going to say. The Browns, unfortunately, like the first six or seven games of the season were all tough games. I mean, you come off. You, well, you played you, the Jets, though. 
Yeah, well, we did get the Jets in there, uh, and and uh, we thought that and Tennessee Titans looked like world beaters against the Browns, but then since then they've not looked very well. You know, we we had that whole uh, NFC Western division, and they're all every one of those teams are tough. I mean, the the Rams they were in the Super Bowl last year, lost to them. Then of course the 49ers they look like they may be in the Super Bowl this year, they lost to them. Now coming up, we got Seattle uh, Seahawks. They're tough. And then the week after, I think the week after Seattle, we got the New England Patriots. Yeah. Uh, as a, a Jets tough. fan, I'll be pulling for you, but that's a tough one. Oh, no kidding. They may not lose a game. They're out of control this year. Yeah, yeah. Seattle's a tough one, too. Uh, all right. Anyway, enough about the Browns. We have covered the Browns. Well, I mean, this was supposed to be the year of the Browns and you finally getting what you've been waiting for for 50 years, but a rough start so far. <laughs> Uh, we had a lot going on, obviously, in the world of wrestling. It was a historic week. Um, I guess the first thing, since we recorded last Tuesday, we weren't able to uh, talk about the very first night of the kind of Wednesday night wars with NXT and AEW. Um, right. I thought that was pretty cool that in this major week for pro wrestling on one major show, there's Jim Ross, and then back on Raw is uh, Jerry the King Lawler, just like it should be. <laughs> well, that was kind of cool. Except the fact that we weren't together. You know, it was the first time, I guess, that first time ever that we've been in a situation like that, that, that you know, we're on opposing, working for opposing companies, uh, but, uh, but on the air at the same time. But yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Did you get to watch the, uh, AEW? I, I gotta admit, I, I was like probably 95% of most fans. I flicked back and forth. I went, I went back and forth uh, between the between the two. So, I, and I don't know if I stayed long enough to, on either side, to really get the get the full picture of of what was going on. But I mean, you know, they were both, um, I guess, pretty much what I expected from both of them. You know, the the NXT show is a, it, you know, it's a it's a different it's a different type show, different from uh, Raw, different from SmackDown. Um, you know, I love Mauro Ronaldo's enthusiasm, and the account, the announced team was uh, was you know cool to listen to. Uh, you know, I, I just be perfectly honest with you, I haven't watched a lot of the NXT stuff, so I'm not really familiar with all of their talent there yet. Uh, but I mean, you know, I didn't see anything bad and nothing that I could say, oh, that was awful or that was that was terrible. It was it was a good show, and uh, and then of course. I didn't know really know what to expect out of those guys either, uh, you know. But they 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 pulled off a good show as well. They had uh, you know some surprises with Jack Swagger showing up or Jack Hager. Is what's it? What are they calling him now? Yeah, it's called by Hager now. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, him showing up at the end was kind of a cool surprise, and um, you know, just it, it it was it was kind of what I what I expected. Those guys are you know going to pull out all the stops and and try to be. Uh, I, I think they want to try to be as different from the WWE as they can. I don't know if that's going to necessarily always be a good thing, but uh, yeah, it was. They were, they were both. I thought good shows, and you know what a night it made for wrestling. I mean, I think it's it was it was reminiscent back to the old Monday Night Wars when people were uh, trying to watch both shows. I don't think I don't think you found anybody that just 
just said, uh, I'm only going to care about this show and not the other one. You know? Yeah, I purposely, because I wanted to relive uh, my youth, I purposely watched both shows and just flicked back and forth like you yeah. did instead of recording right. one. It's just so fun. Anytime you get bored for half a second with one show, you just go to the other show, see what they're up to. It's great. It's uh, yeah. it's something, uh, you know, it was, it was nostalgic in a way. You know, it just made me feel like I was back in the, the late 90s. And I understood. I didn't know, but uh, I, well, I do know now, I guess, the WWE even put out on the on the – on Twitter or whatever, they like congratulated AEW on their on their first show. They did, yeah, that was very nice. Yeah, that was cool. What do you think about you know just what the existence of AEW means for the industry? Having a second company that's on you know a, a platform the size of TNT. Well, I uh, I think it can't be anything but good. I, I think it's good for as you call it. I think it's definitely good for the industry of of wrestling. In, in general, uh, I think it's good for I think it's good for the WWE in in the terms of um, I've I've always felt and I think the WWE does as well that competition is good. Uh, you it brings out the best in both you know whoever's competing it brings out the best in in both companies and so uh, that that of course is is good. I think it's it's almost human nature for a person or a company to sort of rest on their, you know, getting maybe getting a, the, a rut or rest on their laurels or something if they don't have something uh, to compare their work with. You know, if they're if 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 uh, for all this time, WWE has basically been almost the only thing out there. Uh, and and I think now all of a sudden with this competition, it's going to make WWE up their game and, and everybody at the, in the company saying, man, uh, hey, if we're going to, we want to stay number one. We need to, we got to, we may have to step it up. We may have to do more than we've been doing in the past. And so that, that can't be anything but good, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Should be, should be great for the industry. I mean, we've already seen so much stuff going on and uh, NXT getting moved to USA and being live two hours every week as an NXT fan for me. That's just such a fun thing. And, uh, it's amazing the roster they have where the, the third show can still be so loaded with talent up and down the card. And hey, I'm back at work. Yes. <laughs> and to bring in the big guns. Listen up, football fans. Don't miss the latest episode of the Woody Page Podcast as Woody is joined by NFL Hall of Famer and pop culture icon, Joe Namath. When you get to heaven, what would you like God to say to you? Oh, man. Nice going. You know, I see people with respect. <laughs> really, really, I've learned uh, throughout the years, uh, respect is very important. Subscribe and download new episodes of the Woody Page Podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and PodcastOne.com. And make sure you leave a rating and review. So that brings us to another historic thing that happened last week. Boy, last week is one that we're going to look back at because it was the debut of SmackDown on the Fox Network. Wrestling back on network TV for the first time, you know, weekly major network, really since like the 50s, since those like Dumont Network or Wrestling at the Marigold days, right? I think so, yeah. So, I mean, a, a major uh, milestone for wrestling. And I happen to be at SmackDown. I took up my, uh, my brother who uh, edits the show, uh, lives in L.A., so I went out to go visit him. And Is this the same brother that used to work for Famous Monsters magazine? Yes. Oh, wow. 
cool. Yes, he's. I always, I always uh, envied him working that. I mean, it, you know, he, that was probably one of those deals where he, it wasn't that big a deal to him, but to me, I mean, Famous Monsters is something I grew up with, and uh, you know, Forrest Ackerman and all that sort of thing, and for to get to work at that magazine and and be a part of that, I I always thought that was really cool. And, but he doesn't, he's not doing that anymore. He's just in production and that sort of thing now. Correct, but he does very much remember uh, getting to work with you. That was a major highlight. Oh really? <laughs> oh, he's he's my brother. Come on, he can't escape it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for those that don't know, you wrote a piece. Oh, I forget who it was about. He's going to kill me. But uh, in one of his magazines, you guys actually worked together, and you wrote a nice article about monsters and wrestling, right? Yeah, I think so. Anyways, yeah, we're visiting him. SmackDown historic show. Uh, we got to see The Rock. The Rock made one of his uh, returns here. Have you gotten to see The Rock at, like, the, when he comes to the last few Manias or whenever he shows up? Yeah, one of the last, uh, yeah, I got to see him at almost all of the Manias that he was at, I got to see him. But, of course, I, did, I didn't uh, go to SmackDown, so I didn't get to see him there. But, uh, man, that was, I mean, what a way to start off the show. I, I thought it was really cool uh, for them to open the show and the first, the first WWE superstar you see on your screen on Fox Network TV was Becky Lynch. Uh, yeah. and, and especially since Becky Lynch was the Raw Women's Champion, right? That might be a bad sign for you, King. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we got the draft coming up. I, we'll, we shall <laughs> I see. I know. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and a lot of people are talking about – I mean, that is the, the, the subject of uh, conversation going on right now is what's going to happen with the draft and, and with that coming up so soon after uh, – you know, SmackDown premiering on Fox, and a, a lot of a lot of the thought is, man, here's gonna, there's going to be a big shift. Almost maybe the uh, the Raw roster may suddenly go to um, to SmackDown, and it's, it's funny. I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. Uh, Raw has always been the flagship uh, the flagship uh, show and the featured show, and it always seemed like, at least, that the the it, it was. It was perceived even even among the the wrestlers as Raw was like the A show and SmackDown was a, a little bit about the B show being the B show. But then of course when SmackDown went live, that really you know that really upped up the uh, not the rating, but I mean it, it, it well it did that too. But it upped the uh, just like the importance of the show, the status, yeah, of, yeah. Of the, the importance of the show, uh, and it was got became like equal to to Raw. But then. Now with the with it going to the network and and I, I you know I don't know if the I don't know if the average uh, WWE or wrestling fan sits around and thinks well what is the big deal well the big deal is the fact that network television is available to so many millions of people more more millions of people than than cable TV is I mean you know there's so many I mean almost everybody can get are you know your main three networks or four networks, whether you got cable or not, and uh, of course you have to pay for, you have to pay for cable. So you know that's uh, that's that's going to make SmackDown available to millions and millions and millions of more people than Raw is available to. So and I mean just like you know you, if Raw is doing Raw does you know trying to uh, do a two and a half million people every week, which is very very good. Uh, bang, I think Raw, I mean, SmackDown jumped out of the box with over 4 million viewers. 
just right on the on the first time it was on, you know. So and the synergy has been so impressive to me. The way that Fox is totally committing to it, like oh, it's just yeah. as important as football or baseball. Exactly right. And so anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm looking for some things to happen uh, in the in the draft. But it, like we talked about before. There is so much great talent in the WWE right now. And, and I mean, even when you talk about, you know, when you talk about the guys that are in NXT, the guys that are in 205, uh, the, the guys that were the cruiserweight guys. And You've got a whole UK brand nowadays that's full of great yeah, talent. Exactly. There's, there's plenty of talent to fill, to fill the SmackDown and the Raw roster with what would be considered A-list talent. So I'm I'm fun I'm I'm really looking forward to the draft because it's always fun. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about it once before, but I'll never forget the biggest shock that uh, one of the biggest shocks I've ever had in doing broadcasting was one during the draft one time when Jr. and I were sitting there on Raw, and we didn't even nobody had even said that the announcers could be a part of the draft, right? <laughs> and and Jr. and I are sitting there had no clue whatsoever. Uh, and all of a sudden, boom, up on the screen, it came, you know, Jr. is drafted to SmackDown. And he and I both, we just looked at each other, and neither one of us, nobody said a word. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, you know, that was that was when when Jr. got uh, moved to SmackDown off of Raw, and uh, I don't think Jr. ever really got over that. I mean, uh, you know, he, he Jr. looked at that as like a... Uh, slap in the face almost, but it really wasn't because what they what they were trying to do was, you know, pick up the profile of Raw. I mean, of SmackDown, and and it, Jr. being on SmackDown definitely helped the show. So anyway, yeah. I, I I'm looking forward to it. I, I doubt there will be any any uh, drafting of the announcers at the, at the draft, but who who knows? You don't I, know I, for sure. Apparently, video the uh, Monday night. I said, guys. I told him the story about Jr. I said, you know, anything can happen at the draft, and there was a lot of mention Monday night. Uh, uh, even Vince said the uh, before before the show about you guys need to mention about the fact that hey, there's a it's it's almost like the NFL draft. There's uh, there's a couple of war rooms out there where uh, you know the USA Network executives. And the uh, Fox Network executives are sitting, and then, and this, this is for real. I mean, you know, they're not, they're not buddy buddy by any means. They're, they're competing networks and competing. It's going to be like competing shows. So, you know, each one of those shows and each one of those networks are going to want the best talent on their show. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting. Uh, a couple of weeks that are coming up now with the draft. Yeah, I think that's a really clever way that they're doing that this year, making it where uh, USA and Fox are kind of competing with each other for brand supremacy. It gives it more of a sense of like real competition. So you know, if the brands then, face each other and survive. And, yeah. and, and what I'm saying is that part is real. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, between between USA and between the Fox executives, each one of those two hope that their show gets the most. Uh, A-list talent. I have to ask you a little more. I mean, uh, because you mentioned this on Raw, and it's one of the most memorable moments in the history of the draft. So, I mean, you had no idea about JR, and just all of a sudden in the middle of the show, Michael Cole walks over to the desk, and you have to do the rest of the show with him? Absolutely right. No idea. That is uh And, 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 and JR, JR had no idea, and he was totally miffed, and, you know, he, he had to walk over and start. Uh, who was the... Who was, uh, 
Who did he start? I think it was Foley during his very brief run. Was it or was it Taz? I, thought, I don't know. I thought you when I saw the clip, better than I do. maybe maybe it was Foley, mm-hmm. who didn't who Mick didn't last long. <laughs> yeah, because I think Taz was doing ECW at that point, the new ECW. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah, and Jr. just had to start over at, at SmackDown, and he was just totally. I don't know. He may have gone a record length of time without even speaking. <laughs> he was <laughs> he was really PO'd. I'm not kidding. Uh, so. Also on SmackDown, very interesting boxing heavyweight champion Tyson Fury yeah. has a, a little go at it with uh, Braun Strowman, and then uh, you got to introduce him on Monday night as they had another pull apart. Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of cool, and it was the first time I got to meet Tyson Fury. What a big guy! Holy mackerel! He's, yeah, he wasn't small compared to Braun. No, my goodness, he's six foot nine. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like uh, he's a big guy. And, you know, and actually seeing him in person, what I noticed about the guy and probably is one of the reasons that he's the undefeated, you know, world boxing champion is because of the, the, the reach. This guy's freaking arms were like legs. They were so long. I mean, uh, it was, it, I can imagine, I can't imagine anybody being able to get close to him you know, having the reach that this guy had, his wingspan was unbelievable. So that's, um, uh, that will present, uh, I think a big problem to Braun. But the funny thing about this, you know, all of that kind of just started out as like a joke, uh, so to speak, at mm-hmm. least Braun told me, you know, he thought it was a, was a kind of a joke that, uh, that with them, you know, acting, sparring like that and all that sort of stuff. And then of course, I guess, uh, oh, Tyson Fury thinking that he was, I don't know, kind of made a fool of or something like that and then he wanted the apology and then one thing led to another and all of a sudden these two guys are squaring off in there and i don't know if you i don't even know what was on camera at the time but i just it was almost reminiscent of the me being in the ring a few weeks ago when you know the fiend bray wyatt showed up i just said (laughs) i I was i'm thinking the same thing i said here i am standing between these two huge monsters and i've seen uh, i i just had a feeling what was coming so i said I'll just be over here, and I got I got the heck out of the ring, you know. But it was uh, it was a, quite a showdown between those two. Well, that's a smart move, and I think that's obviously big box office having the boxing heavyweight champion and Braun Strowman uh, a little more fair in terms of size than when we had Floyd Mayweather and uh, Big Show. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, you know, down through history, there's been a lot of that, and, and I think that well, I don't even know it may have, they may have done it in the past. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the first one I remember was Antonio Inoki against Muhammad Ali. Right. The big fight that was on, on pay-per-view. And, but, I mean, boxers have been associated with wrestling for a long, long time, even after, you know, was, usually it was like after their careers had gone downhill and there really wasn't anything else on their plate that they could, could make money at. They got involved with wrestling, so to speak. And I, I mean, I can, re- I can tell you this. My brief encounters with different boxers go all the way back. The first one that I ever met, I, when I first got in the business, I don't, this was probably maybe 1973 or 74 or something like that. Uh, my partner Jim White and I had just come up from Alabama. We we're wrestling there in Memphis, and they put us in a match with Pat O'Connor and Lou Thez. Ooh. Yeah, Pat O'Connor and Lou Thez, and the special referee was an ex-world heavyweight boxing champion named Jersey Joe Walcott. You ever heard of that name before? I don't think I have heard that name, actually. Yeah, and I, he goes back to, like, 
uh, he goes back to like Joe Lewis era. I mean, okay. you know, he was w- way back there. But anyway, yeah, he was, that was his deal. You know, he was going around and being special referee for boxing matches and everything. Then, of course, you know, after the, the after the, um, Ali and Noki fight, uh, everybody sort of tried to cash in on that, on that, uh, promotion. And we, we did a deal in Memphis and it was unbelievably successful. We brought Rocky Johnson in, the Rock's father. Rocky Johnson, soul man Rocky Johnson. We brought him into Memphis. Nobody had ever heard of him. He had never wrestled in Memphis before, but he had a little bit of a boxing background. As a matter of fact, he had he had done some sparring with George Foreman. And so he had, we had a bunch of pictures of him and George Foreman squaring off in the ring and everything. So we, we brought Rocky Johnson into Memphis as a professional boxer, and we were going to have a match, the the ultimate boxer versus wrestling uh, wrestler match. It was going to be, so it wound up being me and and Rocky Johnson. And I think mainly simply because um, he looked apart. You know, back then he he almost looked like a uh, Muhammad Ali type guy. And and uh, we had all these pictures of him working out with George Foreman, who at the time was maybe maybe the champion or in, in the championship picture. Uh, so it, everybody, everybody bought into the fact that they, that, that they never even thought about Rocky being a wrestler. They, it was just a Rocky Johnson's is coming in. He's a, a professional boxer. And so we built this big matchup and I'll never forget. I mean, the, we had, a, we had a way, we had an actual weigh in on the six o'clock news. Uh, that's how much coverage we were getting, uh, you know, a mainstream coverage because this boxer, I mean, I think everybody thought, uh, in the mainstream news media thought, oh, this is going to be fun. This boxer is going to come in here and kick this phony wrestler's rear end, right? So, uh, we got, we got a lot of coverage on the thing, newspaper and, and TV news and all that sort of stuff. So that's how we, that's how we introduced Rocky Johnson. And he and I had the boxing versus wrestling match. And, uh, and, you know, it, it just, I mean, it drew so completely out, uh, with the Rocky. And then, then we transitioned Rocky from that. We came back in. I, I'm sure we worked a, another return out of the thing. And then we, then we started getting to him into, um, we started pulling out the fact that he, uh, we were going to make him into a wrestler. And it, it turned out to where Rocky stayed in our territory for years. I mean, a few years, you know, being one of, one of our top guys. And that's, uh, that matter of fact, that's the very first time the rock, Dwayne, I'll never forget, they used to call him Dewey. Uh, Rocky used to call him Dewey. The first, his first TV appearance ever was on one of our Christmas wrestling shows, and we were interviewing the Rocky Johnson and his wife, and there was little four, I think it was like four years old at the time, there's little Dewey, uh, the future Rock was there at a Christmas, they, they, we went out to their house and filmed a little Christmas vignette, and The Rock was, he was down there whining, wanting to open presents, uh, you know, they, because he thought, it, he thought it was already Christmas time, and this was, yeah. you know, shot like a week before Christmas and everything, but, uh, yeah, that was his, it was first time ever on a wrestling show on Memphis TV back in the, whew, the 70s, man. I didn't realize he was actually on Memphis TV. This wasn't the show where Lance Russell uh, became you and, and chewed you out, yes, was it? Yes, was it, it the was. same one? Okay. Yeah, same show. Same show. That's a classic. Yeah. So what was Mike Tyson like in real life when you got to meet him? Really cool. Really cool. I mean, he was like, 
he, he was like a little kid. I'll never forget his, his enthusiasm and everything of being backstage and everything. And, and the first time I saw him, I, I was, I was like looked over and I was walking and all of a sudden he said, Hey, there's the king. There's the king. You know, <laughs> and I had the little high voice and he came over and yeah, it was, he was, he was like a kid in a candy store meeting. I mean, he was, a, he was obviously a wrestling fan and, and meeting and getting to be around all the WWE superstars. He was, he was cool. I really, I really liked him and I've seen him a couple of times since. Um, out in out in Las Vegas, he's at a he does like a regular gig at some of the casinos. There's there's um, sports there's these sports stores that are in different casinos out there where they always have different sports celebrities there signing, doing autograph sessions, mm. and and you know that your 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 turnover in Las Vegas is just different. There's just different people every single day. That's, you know, that uh, are coming from all over the world. And you can literally like, uh, Leon Spinks is, uh, Leon Spinks works out there and, and Mike Tyson does it. I mean, you can, and a lot of baseball, football players, uh, yeah. Oh, Pete Rose. Uh, I just saw Jerry Rice out there recently and you can literally go to one of these different places if you wanted to every single day and it's constantly a list of new, uh, I mean, you know, just constantly a parade of new fans that are coming by and, and there's it, not even always really advertised that they're going to be there. You just walk by and you're in the, in these, uh, big malls at the casino, like the main one is the forum shops at uh, Caesar's palace and boom, there'll be a big sign and say, you know, appearing today, Mike Tyson, come in, get your picture made and, and meet and autograph and whatever by, but with Mike Tyson. And, you know, a couple hundred bucks later, you, you're smiling. You got a picture with the uh, ex-champ, you know. There you go. And we, you just mentioned uh, Leon Spinks. We can't forget that you guys actually headlined at the Mid-South Coliseum together. What was that like? Oh, yeah. Well, that was that was before. Uh, well, no, that, that was I think that was actually after the, the Rocky Johnson stuff. Yeah. Leon Spinks was coming through. And um, I don't I don't remember exactly how. It was, if, he had, was, if he had worked some uh, some matches somewhere in another territory, or how we got in touch with Leon, but yeah, we we booked a boxing versus wrestling match with uh, Leon Leon Spinks, and I'll never forget when we when we got there when he got there for the uh, uh, show that night. It, it was it was so totally different. Like Mike Tyson, I said, was all enthused to be involved with the wrestling to be backstage. Leon Spinks was absolutely opposite. Hmm. It was like. He would rather be in anywhere than at the Mid South Coliseum getting ready to do a, a, a wrestling versus versus boxing match, right? And so, I mean, it was he was so he had his wife. Never forget his wife Betty uh, was with him at the time, and he was just really difficult to uh, to communicate with. And and I never forget. I told Jerry Jarrett, I said, man. I, I, I don't know if I should really, well, I mean, this is what really went on. I, I told Jerry Jarrett, I said, man, I think Leon is like punch drunk, man. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's all there anymore. And he just, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't make heads or tails out of what he was saying. And he didn't want to really talk to anybody except his wife. And so anyway, I'll, I'll never forget. And I've told this story before we got in the ring to do, and he's just sort of standing over there. His eyes look like they're kind of glazed over, and he's just kind of rocking back and forth. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm in I'm in my other corner, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. And then all of a sudden, the Lance made the introductions, and boom, they hit that bell, ding. And I swear to you, I was looking across at Leon, and when the bell rang, 
it was like a, all of a sudden a whole different person was standing there across the ring from me. His eyes just got sharp and focused and he just stared across at me with this like death stare. And I, and I swear I almost peed my pants. Thought, <laughs> oh my God. What in the world? And sure, and sure enough, I mean, he was, he was great. It was, it was really one of those cases of where now when the bell rang, he, he turned on. And, uh, so we had a, yeah, and he, he, uh, I don't know if that was one of the first times that he had, you know, worked a, a, a match against a, a wrestler or not. But I know, uh, he gave me a couple of really, really nice, really nice jabs and, and a, and a few big, big right hands that were, uh, uh, I'm not going to say they would have knocked out anybody, but I mean, I'm sure he could have anytime he wanted to knock my lights out. But, uh, we, then we, then we came back and, uh, he, he came back and he, he went around, he worked the whole territory. I'll never forget. I, I drove him from Memphis to Evansville, Indiana. Sure. And he, he wanted to fly, but I, I don't know, the flight was too expensive or something like that. And you had to connect and everything. I said, I said, Leon, it'd be much easier and it'll be shorter if you just jump the car with me and we'll drive up. So I started driving up and I didn't tell him that it was like a five hour drive from Memphis to Evansville. I said, it, it just it won't take long at all. And, uh, so we put Leon in the back seat with his wife, Betty. <laughs> when we started leaving, he said, he said, man, can we get some fried chicken? <laughs> so sure enough, we got like a big bucket of, of uh, Kentucky fried chicken and he's back there. Uh, what we should have done was we should have, should have waited a little bit later because the chicken really kept him, kept him occupied for a long time. But, uh, but it, then once he finished off the, off the chicken, He's just sitting and staring. We still had about three hours to go. And somewhere along the line, I'll never forget, he looked over at Betty and said, Oh, this is a long haul, ain't it, Betty? <laughs> it's not that bad, Leon. But he, he worked at Evansville. He worked in Louisville for us. And Leon Spinks was, uh, he was a really cool guy, too, to work with. I, I had a lot of good memories of that guy. That is, uh, you have had some fascinating, fascinating things during your career in the wrestling business. Um, another crossover star. That was only the first of the night. Then the, the headliner, of course, on SmackDown was Brock defeating Kofi very quickly to mm. win back his championship. And then uh, Rey Mysterio, we talked about last week, of course, the beating that he and his son took at Brock's hands. He gets his revenge yeah. with uh, his son's godfather, Cain Velasquez, UFC fighter who punched out Brock in the first round of a UFC fight, and they use that on commentary as a way to sell Brock actually being afraid of someone. So interesting turn there. Yeah, it was. Uh, and a lot of people, you're right. A lot of people are talk, talking about that. And, and I think the cool thing, uh, and, and what they're trying to do here is you mentioned it just, just a while ago, Sean, about the fact that Fox Network is really embracing the WWE and like putting it right up there on that pedestal with Major League Baseball with National Football League with college, you know, college football and all of this sort of stuff. And so I think that, uh, you know, this may be the WWE's way of, of going out of their way to say, Hey guys, you know, we belong here. We'll show you that, uh, that we belong here and we're going to bring in some, some, um, some talent and, and some stars from the, uh, you know, from the outside sports world other than just the WWE to be involved with us. And, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is opening a lot of eyes with, uh, Cain Velasquez and, and, and of course, uh, Tyson Fury being involved. I think it's just, it just adds, 
legitimacy that I think the uh, WWE wants to show to Fox Network. Well, and the interesting thing about the deal is that it's uh, a property of Fox Sports, so it's treated like right. it is like a sport. Sport, sure. Yeah, I think the executives who were there Friday would have been very happy seeing uh, Tyson Fury and Kane Velasquez. Uh, I watched Kane's first ever wrestling match, what was it, in the summer at Triple Mania uh, in Mexico City, and he was out there in his very first match doing like Hurricane Ranas and all really? these different things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I see. I, I I was not even familiar with the fact that he had been involved in any kind of way that he had tried wrestling yet. I, I think That's as soon cool. as he did that match and started busting out those moves, he was getting calls from all over the world. And of course, <laughs> WWE, you know, is the one who who won out. So, and, you know, he he's a big guy as well. Yeah, a really big guy. He is a big guy, and, and I don't know what he was wearing. That was a, some, somebody sent me a text that said, "I thought only women wore capri pants." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything to his uh, war, about his wardrobe because I, I didn't want to get my lights knocked out there either. But yeah, it, it, that's going to be really interesting. I I personally did not see the the fight where uh, he beat Brock. But a lot of people, of course, a lot of people did, and a lot of people knows that that was like uh, something that I'm sure is still uh, <laughs> something that Brock thinks about to this day. So it'll be interesting to see those two guys, if we get to, to see those two guys tie it up again. Isn't that a, a – and, and what about – what about? I thought that, that Rey Mysterio made one of the most passionate interviews that I've ever – definitely that I've ever heard Rey make. I thought it was just a really, really good interview talking about uh, Kane and being Dominic's godfather and all that sort of stuff. I thought that was a really good interview that that Ray made. Yeah, that was on Raw. He did a, an emotional thing about having to watch his son get beat up and being unable to do anything about it. That was good stuff, but you know he's been around for a long time, too, so he knows exactly what he's doing. So that was SmackDown. And then we get to the shows that you announced. Uh, we had Hell in a Cell. Interesting night, certainly. Uh, Becky and Sasha first kicked off the show with a heck of a a match. Without a doubt. I mean, you know what was what was kind of cool about that too. I don't know if you if you had the time to realize it, but uh, me and Vic and Dio, uh, the Raw announced team, got to do both Hell in a Cell matches. That's true. Yeah, they're both Raw matches. Yep. So, and like you said, it it was it was kind of. uh, I, I would. I don't know uh, if that if it's always. Who am I to second guess the way they book things and the order that they put the matches in? But it is very important, you know, the orders, uh, the order of the matches. I guess as far as the fans are watching. But to start off the show with Becky and and Sasha, when I first when I first looked at it, I thought, Gosh, this is why would you start off the show? I'm you know I'm old school. I'm from the I'm from the old old days where you used to start off and have that pecking order going up the card you know the opening match was we the curtain jerker that was that was always considered you know just uh that was the match where you'd put the like the opening match guys that was their, that was their match and then you'd build the, the intensity and, and the stuff yeah <laughs> buff smith right and then the intensity would build up to the main event uh and that was your last match but i mean you know Without a doubt, both Hell in a Cell matches were considered main events. And so 
you know, in their infinite wisdom, they decided to start the show with uh, with Becky and Sasha. And man, oh man, did they ever deliver? I mean, at the, when when that while that match was going, that's when I realized. I said, man, this what a heck of a way to start the show. This is awesome. And those two young ladies put on a great match. I mean, did some. I mean, you know, how many different kind of innovative things can you do when you're stuck inside uh, a big cage or a big cell like that. But those girls, they did uh, things that I'd never seen done in, in hell in the cell matches before. And, and um, it was just, it was a great match to me. The, it was the match of the night stole the show. Uh, but unfortunately by the end of the night, I don't think, you know, when the night was over, I don't think anybody even remembered what a great match that uh, Becky and Sasha had because they were, they were, I guess, uh, so upset with the, the finish of the, of the last hell in a cell match. Well, I thought that main event, uh, boy, that was, to me, it was compelling. Like, uh, I know a lot of people were so upset, but I'd rather have something that compels me and gets emotion out of me over something where I'm just kind of bored. So we had this whole presentation of Bray Wyatt with an amazing ring entrance, the ring, uh, drenched in red light, uh, you know, Seth doing like a little curb stuff. Now, what, what did that look like to you when you were watching it at home? It was looked, it red? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's weird because on, on our monitors, uh, on our monitors there at the ringside, I swear it all looked like yellow. It looked really weird, like a, a yellow, almost, almost like a black and white version of the show. It was really hard to, I had several people I was looking on Twitter at the same time. Some, some people were complaining about the, the red light effect that they weren't that crazy about it. And just, just on our monitors there at the, at, you know, at the live show, it was not that good. I would have thought it would have been better doing it with just regular lighting, but apparently at home it looked red and just the way they wanted it to look, you know? Yeah, I think it's just a way to try to make uh, The Fiend distinctive. They did the same thing with uh, Kane when he first debuted. His first matches were in red mm-hmm. light, but then they switched yep. to to normal. Yeah, tell us about being at ringside for that whole situation. And, uh, you know, obviously the fans didn't love the, the finish, to be honest. Well, no, uh, you're right. And it was like, let's go back and say the reason I think that and in looking at Twitter and that sort of thing, the reason they didn't like the finish, so to speak, is because... That match was advertised that the only way you could win was by pinfall or submission. And technically that, that, that was true. And, but they didn't, they didn't ever go to say there must be a winner. So when the match was the match, I think the actual decision was that the referee stopped the match, that it wasn't, it was not, uh, I, I don't think it was a disqualification. At least I didn't, I didn't feel that, that it was a disqualification. We just felt that the referee, uh, stopped the match. Then, of course, a lot of people wanted to see. It was funny. I think, I think that, um, it reminded me of that old WrestleMania match where we went into where it was the Hulk against the Rock and everybody figured that the Rock, uh, you know, was going to be the fan favorite and everybody was going to boo Hulk Hogan. And that's the way the match was laid out. And that's what everybody thought was going to happen. Everybody in the WWE thought that was going to happen. And instead, once the match started, it turned out to be exactly opposite. The fans booed the rock and they cheered Hulk. And at that time, uh, you know, that, that I've always said that was one of my favorite WrestleMania matches ever to call because all of a sudden things got real in the sense that 
you know, even Jr. and I, we, you know, we're, we're, we're used to Jr. was going to be pulling for the rock and, and, uh, I was going to be the devil's advocate and we had to switch roles just oh. the same as, just the same as a Hulk and the rock did. And it, but it worked out, uh, perfectly because they, they literally sort of took things in their, into their hands and, and, and were able to, to, um, go along with what the people's reaction was. And that's, that's one of the things that I've, I, that I sort of miss about the wrestling world now and, and, and it's WWE and the fact that a lot of the stuff is so, I don't know, it's just, they just figure they know the way the fans are going to react. And sometimes they don't react the way you think they're going to, but then you, you've got your, your, have that one track mind and you have to do what you've got laid out to do. And, and, and sometimes it just doesn't sit well with the fans. And I think this was one of those cases. All of a sudden in that match, it was so obvious that the fans wanted Bray Wyatt to win. I mean, they were all for Bray Wyatt. And Interesting, isn't it? The evil guy. The, the yeah. same weekend the Joker movie comes out. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know what? Honestly, I think that, I think that Joker movie has had, uh, has had an influence on the way, uh, fans think about the Bray Wyatt character and, and, and all that sort of stuff. They, 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 it makes them into, uh, you know, it makes them into fan favorites. And so anyway, that was, it was, so it was not, that part of the match didn't go the way everybody thought it would in the fact that, uh, they thought that the fiend was going to be the heel and he turned out not to be, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think they were just, you were caught in a, in a situation where anything that you did was not going to be right. I can, I can see like, uh, I, I don't think in my mind, business wise, it would have been smart. And they obviously didn't think so either the, to put the universal championship on the fiend. He doesn't need it. It's like Undertaker didn't have the belt a lot back in the day. Yeah, because he didn't need it. He was the Undertaker. And yeah. the fiend's the same way. He's the fiend. He's a, he's a marketable character without any help. And so, um, and then also, and then also, if all of a sudden you got the title on the fiend, how are you going to ever get it off of him? You know, yes. what, are you, what are you going to do there, right? Right. So there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of thing that goes into these into these matches and, and what they're going to do here. But then sometimes the fans thinking is just the most simplistic way. And, and if it doesn't happen the way they, they just want it to be right there, they're going to be upset with it. And I think that, you know, they were they were definitely upset with the way that match ended. And and, and, and I think now the, the WWE's thought, let's move on. Just, just move on. We, what, what did I think the fans don't realize or don't they they probably do way down somewhere down their mind uh they just don't take the time to give the wwe uh brain trust the credit is that trust me every show that they put on they want it to be the best show possible they want the fans to sit there and love every minute of it nobody was ever trying to put on a match or a show that the fans don't like that would be so stupid, right? Well, here's so, my. But, oh, but, go ahead. But it does. It, no, I was just going to say it. Just everything 
never turns out the way uh, or everything doesn't always turn out the way you want it to. I mean, like when Jerry Jarrett and I were booking Memphis, Mid-South Coliseum, we had to book a show every Monday night. Don't you think that we would have loved to have a sellout every Monday night? Sure. That we would have loved to have put on a card that people at home would go, oh, man, I can't miss that. I'm going to go down Monday night. I'm going to pay my money and go see this match. Sure we would. And that's what we always were trying to do. But I can tell you how many times we get down there and then be in an 11,000 seat building and, and we're, we're scratching our head looking at the card we booked that we thought was going to have them packed to the rafters and we look out there and be 4,000 people. My hot take on this is I'm not sure this was even as bad of a thing as it seemed to be. Yes, everyone was really upset, but I almost feel like uh, people getting mad at the creative team is like the modern version of authentic heel heat. Because uh, <laughs> when you think about the Daniel Bryan and the emotion that led to and him winning at WrestleMania, and then people getting so mad about them trying to turn Becky Lynch heel, and that was the spark that led to the whole the man and her headlining WrestleMania, I could see the emotion here being turned into a positive thing where we rally around Bray. And if he does finally win the title, the crowd will go crazy for it. Right. Well, you're right. Um, The other thing, you know, watching and watching that match. And once again, this goes back to the old school wrestling. Uh, I'll never forget being sitting driving one of the like the first month or so that I was in the business, I got to drive from Memphis TV to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and with ride in the passenger seat with Tojo Yamamoto. Now Tojo Yamamoto was a top villain in our territory for years and years in Memphis, but he wasn't a big physically endowed guy. Matter of fact, he was short. He was probably five foot seven at the most, and uh, a little short, kind of roundy heavy set uh Japanese wrestler that um when when I think back on him and and this is what he would tell me the the greatest thing about Tojo and and, and it, when you, when you would hit him or drop kick him or something like that he didn't take a he didn't take a great bump or anything <laughs> when I think back about him the main thing about Tojo Yamamoto was his facial expression hmm. And when you watched him on TV, when he made an interview, you watching that face and the facial expression when he would smile, when he would be happy, he had such an evil looking smile or when he was hurt, when he was in pain, that expression on Tojo's face was, was priceless. You could just look at his face and you could just tell what he was feeling. And I got in the car with Tojo. And he said, he, ta- he explained that to me about facial expression. He said, people, you gotta understand people are sitting way in the top of the, top of the Mitchell Coliseum. You know, they can't, they can't tell how you hurt or nothing. You have to show them with your face. You show them with facial expressions. And now when I think back on it, I realize it was probably just a rib on me of this, of this, this old veteran that didn't have anything better to do. Uh, with this time that we're going to spend driving from Memphis to Jonesboro for about an hour and a half was just really to make me miserable. But he's, he's driving. He said, okay, come here. Lean over here. Lean over here, Lana. And he, and he took the mirror, the rearview mirror, and he leaned it down and said, look at your face. Look at your face. He said, show me pain. Show me pain on your face. <laughs> and so I tried to make a little face. And he said, no, 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 no. Let me show you. And so he reached over and he grabbed and started pinching my cheek, right? And I thought he was gonna, I thought he was gonna rip my face off. And I'm going, oh, oh, oh. 
He said, yeah, 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 that's a pain. That's a pain on your face right there, Lala. And so, you know, it, and, and I, and I, I've always remembered that through the years that your facial expressions are so important in wrestling. That's how the fans get involved and that's how the fans can feel what you're feeling with your facial expressions. And, 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 and watching that match with Bray Wyatt, he is a great worker, but he's at a tremendous disadvantage in that match wearing that mask because that facial expression never changes. So you can't see on his face. I mean, when, when, you know, when Seth Rollins, you know, gives him, hits him with a candlestick or when he gives him a four or five, you know, uh, stomps uh, into the, the, his head into the mat, he couldn't, you know, his facial expression never changed because of the mask. So it's, it's, it's a difficult uh, it, Bray is going to have to really, really, um, I don't know. He's going to have to be at the top of his game to convey, uh, and to get over his opponent, uh, by, by showing any kind of emotion without being able to show any kind of emotion on his face. He can't show that when he's, you know, he can't show that he's enjoying what he's doing to his opponent. Of course, the smile on the, the permanent smile on that face works there, but you know, when it, comes time to turn the tables when his opponent is supposed to be getting the best of Bray Wyatt and he's kicking his ass and he can't show it, you know, and, and, and I was watching that in that match and I'm just thinking, you know, it, it, it gives the impression that nothing that Seth Rollins is doing to Bray Wyatt, uh, the fiend is having any effect on him because there's no way for him to show it. There you go. And it, it kind of makes, I know his face isn't as covered, but it makes you appreciate how special Rey Mysterio's run has been over the last 20 years and the way that he just finds a way through the mask to connect with the audience. And there's been so many attempts to replicate it, but there's only been one Ray. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. But you're right. Ray can still, and if, if you go back and watch when, when Ray is, you know, taking a beating during the match, they get a lot of close-ups on his face, and it's not – I mean, you can still see Ray's face yeah. even through that mask, you know, around that mask and everything. But in the case of Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, you can't. Yeah, he's there. more like Kane where you really – you just can't see anything. Right. But anyway, it was – you know, it was, a, it was a good match, but I thought everybody had a tough time following – uh, what Becky Lynch and, and Sasha had done earlier in the night. And, and especially even with the buildup, that Hell in a Cell match had a tough time following the girls' Hell in a Cell match. It was so good. It was just that good. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com. Then the next night on Raw, we had another wild uh, women's brawl. And yeah. this time you got involved with it a little bit on accident. Uh, we had the Natalia versus right. L- Lacey Evans match that was uh, 
the first match to take place on Raw, and that was a heck of a match, really. Uh, a great match. It really somehow was. Somehow they ended up at the announce table. Tell us about that. Well, I told, I got to tell, uh, I got to tell Natalia that because once we got to the airport that night, uh, I was sitting, I went in a little restaurant there at LAX. We had like a, an hour before our red eye took off and Natalia and her husband, Tyson Kidd were both there waiting and, and we were all sitting at the same, same table eating and talking about that match. And well, I don't know which part to tell first. Anyway, uh, you know, Lacey Evans is, is, uh, they're absolutely really high on Lacey Evans, and I think she's done a tremendous job. She's only been wrestling for a short time, and that's what that's what Natalia was talking about, the fact that a lot of people don't realize that uh, how short a time that Lacey Evans has actually been, you know, uh, in the ring and having matches and that sort of thing. And Lacey's a big girl. She's uh, she's a big, impressive, uh, powerful young lady, ex-Marine and all that sort of stuff. And Natalia was saying... She said, it's, and then this is just the way it, it, just the way it works that sometimes it's tough to have a really good match against somebody. Uh, and not to say that Lacey Evans, she's definitely trying as hard as she can and doing really great in the role that she's in, but she's just, she's just green. You know, she just hasn't had that many matches yet and she's doing, she's doing tremendous. And, and, and especially then, then it, a lot of times it's up to her opponent. To try to hide that, that in, uh, inexperience, you know, that Lacey Evans can't help but show because she just, she doesn't have that experience yet. And, and she's getting better every match. But Natalia was telling me, she said, man, I'm, I'm beat up. <laughs> she said, you know, sometimes she'll do stuff that she doesn't, that she doesn't mean to do or that she just can't do exactly right yet. She said, she punched me in the throat a couple of weeks ago and she said, I couldn't swallow for four days. <laughs> and, you know, it just like it bruised her voice box. And they were having a, a, I mean, she said matches with, with, uh, Lacey Evans are really, uh, really physical. I mean, it, it's, it was so funny because the, the couple of weeks ago when the, when the raw premiere, me and Dio and, and Vic Joseph were up on the stage and we were looking at the brand new, this brand new stage and all, it's all made out of LED lights, uh, even all the way down to the floor. And we were standing there looking at our, our desk, uh, where it was and the way, when we're sitting at our desk and you look down, straight down at the floor underneath us, even they, even the floor underneath the desk is all LED lights. And so we walked, we were walking over to the, like the entrance there on the stage, the big main part of the, of the back of the stage there. And we, we felt down the, the lights, uh, you know, it's, it's curved. It kind of goes up. And I know if you remember the way the, the Lacey and, uh, Natalia's match went, the, uh, Lacey picked Natalia up a couple times and threw her into that, into that stage. And then she just sort of slid down because it's a, it's like a curved stage down to the, to the, to the floor part. But, but the day, you know, the week before that, Vic and I were feeling of that, feeling those lights down the stage. And I promise you, we thought, we said to ourselves right then, man, nobody better, better get thrown into this thing because this is like, it was almost like razor blades, uh, sticking out, you know, each one of those edges of the LED lights. It was, it wasn't flush. It wasn't flat. They each, 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 uh, maybe each two inches was like a, maybe like a eighth of an inch coming out from the, from the other thing. And it was like a piece of metal there. And you couldn't see it when you're just looking at it. 
But if you ran your hand down it, it was like running down a cheese grater or something. And then during that match, I mean, I, I remembered that looking at that. And then all of a sudden during that match, Lacey kept picking Natalia up and throwing her back up against that thing. And she would just slide all the way down on the, on the, on the cheese grater LED lights. And, uh, she, she was telling me that night, she said, Oh my gosh, but she kept throwing me on that thing. It just was, it was like killing me. And then I explained to her, I said, I know we felt that thing. And she said, yeah, well, we thought it was just flat. We never realized what it was like, but they, they had a rough match. And the other thing that was, that was a weird, not weird, but was kind of surprising about the match was about halfway through the match. Vic and Dio and I are, are at the table up on the stage and which I really wish we were down by the ringside. I just don't, I'm not crazy about us being up on the stage like that, but we're sitting at our announce table and we have to look right down under at least the little cover of our announce table. We have three little monitors. Each one of us has three little monitors and they're literally about the size of a tablet, just a small tablet. And that's what we have to watch because that's what, that's the program. That's what's on the air. So we have to be, con- we have to watch that and we have to call the action, uh, from what, you know, what the fans at home are seeing on our monitors. And I don't know. I, I, I was watching, we're watching the match. The match is going on and I could, I don't know why, what, what happened to me? Why I wasn't paying the right amount of attention, but I knew the girls had fought out of the ring and had fought up the ramp. But for some reason, and I'm just calling the action, talking about, for some reason, I did not realize that they were like right next to our table. And I'm just sitting there constant staring down at the monitor. And all of a sudden, Lacey throws Natalia or one of the, one or the other. I don't even know who which throws her right into the side of our table, right where I am, hits me and hits the table. And it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I didn't know what happened. I didn't know it was them. I didn't know what happened. It was just all of a sudden, bam, something hit me, hit the table, knocked us over to the right. And it's a miracle on live TV that I didn't say like, what the, you know, or holy, you know, but I didn't because I I realized, but then all of a sudden, you know, Lacey starts, she grabs the top of the table and throws it off and I, and I had a whole bunch of notes and and all this sort of stuff. She just starts slinging those everywhere and I'm going, ah, notes and 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 the, my crown went flying and then uh then i realized she's gonna pick uh she's gonna pick natalia up and like power bomber on the on the table or something and all of a sudden i look and there's my phone sitting there on the table too about to get smashed <laughs> so so i had to reach in real quick at the last second and grab my phone and i guess it was on camera or something because somebody put out a tweet that said Good job by the king of saving his phone right there at the end of of that thing. But, uh, yeah, they, they had a, they had a really good match. And then after that, then of course they went over and, and Natalia power bombed Lacey Evans off of the stage down through a table, uh, which that, that was, that was a shock to me right there. I thought that I didn't, I didn't never realize that they, you know, that they had a, uh, a table down there for that purpose or whatever. But, uh, I, I thought that when she picked her up that they were going to, she was going to block it and they were going to turn around and just power bomb her on the stage. And then, so, uh, you know, when she power bombed her off the, off the thing onto the, off the stage into the table down there, uh, I was, I was like a fan. I mean, you know, our, our, our we didn't, we weren't watching by that time, our monitors and everything were gone. We were just standing there, we standing there with our back to the audience watching it, uh, happen right in front of us. And that was, uh, that was a really uh, a cool ending to that match, I thought. 
why did we decide to pick up uh, to start a podcast during a time when there's nothing happening in wrestling? Which terrible yeah. timing, <laughs> isn't that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what goes on. Just here. scratching for things to talk about, but. Um, mm. A historic week, and uh, we have the draft coming up on Friday. There'll be hey, in wait, Las wait, Vegas. wait, 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 wait. We didn't even get to talk about. We didn't even get to talk about one of the craziest things that I, I, I just wish. I, I mean, I had so many lines prepared for this this event, but things happen so fast on the show, and they 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 start with one thing, and I'm all ready to give a get out of line, and next thing you know it's it's over and they're, they're the talent speaking and you don't get a chance to do it. But uh, I'm loving the deal that with Lashley, Bobby Lashley and uh, Lana. It felt a little attitude era esque. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why I love it, man. It's awesome. You know, that was, that was like that. I was, I was ready to say, I think I might've said it somewhere, but it didn't, it gets, gets lost in the translation. But that first kiss, that first week, I said, oh, my gosh, Lana gave Bobby Lashley a kiss so hot that it melted the fillings in his teeth. It was it was just a it was a really hot looking scene. And then, of course, last, uh, you know, Monday night with Bobby Lashley being at Rusev's house in his bedroom. Oh, and then his wife joins him in the bed and and then the lights go off. Wow. And then he destroys (laughs) Orton and uh, Corbin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's that's man. I love that stuff because that's personal issues that to me rises above being a champion or about a, you know, a title or anything like that. When it when you can make something personal uh, where you can realize, hey, you know what? This guy might really be mad and he might really be wanting to kick somebody's butt over this. Uh, that that to me is when you when you got at least you got my attention on something like that. Well, I think that's why so many people are still becoming Memphis wrestling fans to this day because you, you guys really perfected that uh, the 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 crazy personal issues that you would have every Saturday morning going on in that studio. Well, and I think you know one of the one of the reasons why then we had we had one set of titles. We had the Southern Heavyweight Champion and we had the Southern Tag Team Champions, and uh, you know, and everybody was trying to get to a World Championship match. Uh, but that didn't happen very often. So, but we had a ton of talent there. And so in order to make their, you know, their matches mean some, everybody couldn't be the champion and everybody couldn't have a championship match every week. So, you know, you depended on personal issues. You had to have a reason for somebody to be mad at, uh, uh, somebody to have them wrestle each other. So that's where, uh, and I've said this before, Jerry Jarrett and I used to have a big sign on the wall that said personal issues draw money. And that was, it's always true. It's been true since the beginning of time and it's, and it's still true to this day. I mean, you know, that's you, everybody can relate to the personal issue of, uh, of a guy's wife kissing somebody else right in front of him. That would make anybody can understand what you would, how you would feel about that. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, I love stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest WrestleMania buy rate out of the first 13 or so was that Hogan and Savage with Miss Elizabeth in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Personal stuff draws. So the draft is uh, Friday and Monday, Friday there in Vegas, and then you'll be there for the second part on Monday in Denver, I believe, right? Yep. 
We'll be wondering who's left after that. <laughs> They're going to have stars from, you know, Fox and USA uh, apparently doing the draft picks and things like that. It sounds like it's going to be a, a whole big production and uh, will be very interesting. So we shall see how the landscape changes uh, over those couple days and obviously talk about it next week. Uh, that'll be that'll be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And that's one of the great things about the wrestling business. It gets interesting. Everybody wants to figure out what's going to happen. And everybody wants to think, I know what's going to happen. And everybody loves to say, I knew that was going to happen. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the draft, that's one of those things where nobody knows what's going to happen. So it makes it really, really interesting. Who's going to who's going to wind up where? And it really does, like you said, it feels real because it is real. There are these two huge TV deals happening at the same time. And, uh, you know, the word is after this draft, there's not going to be as much mixing between the brands. So it's going to be very interesting. Before we sign off, where can people find Jerry Lawler besides hosting Monday Night Raw coming up? Well, uh, let's see. I just I wanted to mention somebody somebody wrote me or put out a uh, sent a tweet out the other day saying that they said I, I my one thing that I've never got to meet Jerry Lawler because I always wanted to get an autograph picture or something like that so I put on I put sent out a uh, tweet back to him saying hey I have stuff like that and uh, merchandise available at my website which is www.kingjerrylawler.com you can get uh, pictures and different kind of things there at that place and then of course at Jerry Lawler's uh, you know my Twitter handle we try to keep up with everything that's going on 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 Twitter uh, keep you up with what what all is happening uh, let me look at my calendar here what today is uh, Friday and I want to give a plug to your YouTube page as well YouTube oh, yeah, uh, the Jerry Lawler YouTube page is putting up those classic Memphis wrestling shows that you do as well as other things like videos from celebrities that you know cool stuff Terry Bradshaw's on there yep and that's the Jerry uh, Jerry Lawler official YouTube channel and uh, you can find that get you get to that and subscribe to that we we really appreciate that We're going to be putting up all kind of new uh, it's hard to say new when it's old Memphis uh, classic wrestling stuff on there. Uh, let's see. I think this is dropping on Friday, which that means that tonight, uh, Laura and I are going to be at the Grand Ole Opry in oh. Nashville, Tennessee. Our buddy Mark Wills is performing tonight, and he's left me a couple of uh, – uh, well, actually, we get to go, when Mark's there, we get to go backstage and, and hang out with everybody backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. We're hoping – if anybody out there has a inn, uh, we were, we'd like to stay over one night. Tomorrow night, uh, on Saturday, the 12th, guess who's making her 50th? It's her, like her 50th anniversary appearance at the Grand Ole Opry. I do not know. Dolly Parton. Oh, of course. Dolly Parton's at the Grand Ole Opry tomorrow night on Saturday, the 12th. And, uh, oh, it's a tough, uh, you can imagine that's a tough ticket. So anybody out there that's listening that's got anything to do with the Grand Ole Opry, um, get in touch with me and uh, Lauren and I would love to be your, your guest there, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, that's, that's coming up. Then of course, Sunday, man, Sunday, uh, we got our last softball game of the season and the Browns are playing the Seattle at noon. So we'll be uh, watching that and then heading off to Raw. In Denver on the 14th. That's going to be the big draft day. Then what else? Oh, okay. The, that follow we want to plug this one more time. On the 18th of October, that's my new restaurant, my new barbecue restaurant down in Benton, Louisiana. Benton, right outside of, um, right outside, right outside of about, I don't know, 10 or 12 miles outside of Shreveport. 
Benton, Louisiana. It's Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue. We're going to be making a personal appearance down there. We are even going to bring a wrestling ring. We're going to set up the ring right outside the restaurant there on Friday afternoon. And everybody come by. It's going to be, it'll basically be an all day event there. And uh, we're going to have some live wrestling down there. And that's going to be a, a big fun thing. And then the next day, I'll be all the way back in Memphis on the 19th and 20th is the Memphis Comic Expo, the big Comic Con out at the uh, Agri Center in Memphis. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up. All right. Sounds good to me. we got a lot to talk about next week, I'm assuming, with the draft, and uh, who knows what else we'll come up with. And we just want to thank everybody for all the support and tweets and Facebook messages and uh, keep sending us feedback, and we'll keep uh, trying to do the best job possible. Yeah, tell everybody if you if you listen to this and you like the you like the podcast, tell everybody about it because you you said we're doing this is episode number two and I remember the my last time we were doing podcasts we were all the way, all the way up to episode number ninety eight so we got a long way to go Sean I think we can do it though <laughs> I think we can do it too we're uh, we're so excited to be on podcast one now this is just uh I mean you can't beat that yeah uh, where our our buddy Stone Cold Steve Austin has his podcast here on Podcast One, and uh, we're right there with him, and, and this is very exciting times for us. All right. Anything else before I sign off? No. Let me hear you sign off one time. Uh-huh. For, for Jerry Lawler, this is Sean Reedy saying bye-bye, everybody. There you go. Is that the right way to do it? That was perfect. <laughs> What's happening, man? It's Tip T.I. Harris. Come check me out, man. Join me on my new podcast called Expeditionally. Exclusively available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Now, every week I'm going to be talking to people who move the culture forward, who are shaping and changing the world in their own way. You're going to hear some sh- that will change your life and move the needle in your world. Expeditionally is exclusively available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Now, what I need you to do is download and subscribe to Expeditionally with a new episode dropping every Thursday. Do it expeditiously.